Welcome to Christ Community Church. Glad you're with us. Spouse, I'm glad you're back up here with me. Better. Hooray. Hooray. Uh, two quick announcements before we get going. One is Jason Rawls puts together these um, little packets for people that you might see at intersections or walking down the street that look a little uh, like they need some encouragement. Need a, just a way of showing them you love them. And um, anyway, they're back in the back. They're there every Sunday. And so if you ever uh, would like to get one or two of these packages, and uh, when you, like I said, if somebody comes up to you at the corner and want money, you can give them something else that I think actually would even be better. So anyway, they're back there. And then also this evening at 5 o'clock at Kim and Jerry Bowden's house, believe it or not, unless we have some kind of a earthquake this afternoon, um, we're going to actually have a, uh, a gathering. You're all invited. And we're going to talk about the Beatitudes. And we're going to focus on the, the really the, the, the general idea of, of what the Beatitudes are and then maybe even get to the first one or two of them. But uh, we'll get there and we'll break into groups and have some discussion. And I think you'll enjoy it. It's the way God designed the, the Bible to be studied, you know. Um, we have made something. I'm a part of it. I love it. But the way we study the Bible is not the way the New Testament studied it. It's not the way the early church studied it. They gathered in small groups, in homes, and they talked about it. They wrestled with it. They asked questions of each other, and they challenged each other. And so, not that this is bad. Uh, clearly, I think it's good. But I, I think doing this tonight uh, will be a, a blessing. It will help us get to know each other. And uh, so, I encourage you to come and be a part if you, if you can. Um, anything else I've forgotten? Okay. Oh, good. Well, welcome. Come on. Good. Come on. Um, Thanks again. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, Jason. Thank for those you. Bless you for that. Kits. Those little kits. It's great. Uh, and Robin, thank you so much for your prayer and challenge and heart. And we're going to end the service today praying for the, the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia. Um, we've been in a little series the last couple of weeks looking at some relational indicators. Some things, I didn't make these up um, or come up with them. John Gottman, who would be a leading relational counselor by anybody's definition, he identified these four qualities and when they are operating well in relationships, he would say those relationships have a 97% chance of being healthy, satisfying, and that you'll grow old together. That's what I'd like to do with her. I'd like to We're grow old. We're already old. Yeah. We've already done that. That's true. That's true. But I'd like to grow even older with yes. you. Uh, he says that you, if these four things are in your relationship, operating, you have a 97, you think about that, you have a 97% chance that your relationship, 
It, he was, he's referring to marriage, but it can be applied to any relationship, significant relationship that you have with another person. But he says, according to John Gottman, he says that four indicators of relational health or relation, relationships that are good and moving in good directions that are healthy, they are um, trust, loyalty, shared or mutual power, and attention. Attention, giving attention and we'll talk about that next week. Today we're going to look at the, the, um, the third one. Um, you know, as I do, that all four of those, trust, loyalty, shared power, and attention, were lost along with many, many, many other things, but they were all lost to our relationships when Adam and Eve decided that they knew better. Thanks God, but no thanks. We've got a better way of, uh, that we want to live our lives. And um, so they were, they were lost. What is remarkable and what is so re um, revealing about the God of the Bible is that God had placed those four things in our relationships, in, in, the, in the relationship between Adam and Eve, and in all of our relationships. And when they were lost, that didn't detour God one bit. He said, well, I, I'm going to spend the rest of the Bible and the rest of history re- well, I would just say restoring, I was going to say reinstilling, uh, restoring those qualities back into our relationships. Um, and he, and what is even more remarkable is that he says that he has committed all of the resources that he has available. Now, think about that. All the resources that God has available. He has committed those resources to each of us to help us experience restoration in our relationships, both with God and with each other. He's committed all of his resources to helping us regain trust, regain loyalty, regain shared power, regain attention. He says in John, somebody sent me this just the other day, and I think I sent it out to a lot of y'all, that verse in John chapter 1 that is so great. John says, from God's fullness, think about how full God is. Think about how deep God's pockets are. Think about what's in God's wallet. You know that thing, what's in your wallet, that commercial? Wonder what's in God's wallet. Now you think about that. Think about what is in God's uh, financial portfolio. He's not you think worried about, about it. No, he's not. And he has made all, he says, from God's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And the idea in the Greek language is grace upon grace upon grace upon, it's like the waves of the sea. The, the grace waves of God are just relentless, crashing against us, the beach, 
with more grace and more grace. Paul says in Philippians 4, My God will meet every need you have, the need for trust, the need for loyalty, the need for shared power, the need for attention. He will meet every need you have. Because see, some of you are going, I could never have those things in my relationship. My mate won't do it or I can't do it. Well, maybe so. God says, I will meet every need you have according to His glorious riches. And then Paul says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, and in all ways, you will abound. Hmm. Two weeks ago, we looked at the idea, the relational idea of trust. That in a relationship where there's an environment of trust, relationships are satisfying, they're, they're healthy, satisfying, and they endure. And we talked about the idea that we build trust, we create trust, when we are willing to tell each other the truth, even when it's scary, and when, we're, we, when, when, and when we will sacrificially do what we said we'd do, no matter what. No matter what. And that goes for my relationship with God, and that goes for my relationship with Cheryl Lee. And with my daughter, my grandson, with Chuck and Nancy, whoever. Last week, we looked at the idea of loyalty, that in a, where a relationship has an environment of loyalty... That relationship will be healthy, satisfying, and endure. And we looked at Gottman's idea of loyalty being that I will find creative, effective, and continual ways to communicate to you, you matter to me. You're important to me. I believe in you. I find effective, regular, ways to communicate that you matter to me. And when I do that, to the degree that I do that, I will experience that, I'll create that idea, that atmosphere of loyalty, and my relationship will flourish. Well, today, just to be honest with you, this is my favorite of the four. I guess I should have saved it till the last, but I couldn't wait. Um, and he made it number three, so I thought I'd make number three too. Um, but he also says... That in healthy, satisfying, enduring relationships, there will be an environment of shared power. Now, when he talks about shared power, that is in contrast to unilateral power. Power, uh, a relationship where there is power, but it's every relationship possesses power. You understand that, right? Every relationship possesses power. But in some relationships, that power is possessed by one person versus both people. He says that when you have a relationship where there is shared power, it will flourish. When the where, where the relationship, where both people in the relationship have authority, value, where they both have a voice, where they both have influence and where both are respected. Let me say it again. 
in relationships where there is shared power, both people feel like they have authority, value, a voice, influence, and respect. If you're wondering, what does that look like? The Bible is so lovely about giving us uh, examples, pictures, so that we understand. They give us, the Bible gives us pictures to help us understand concepts. And the most perfect picture of shared power is in the Trinity. If you, if those of you that are reading through the Bible with me, especially the New Testament, as you read through the New Testament, you're going to come across, oh, a dozen, give or take, but a dozen verses where God the Father talks about God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. You'll find maybe a half a dozen verses where the Holy Spirit talks about His relationship with God the Father and God the Son. And then you'll find about two dozen verses where God the Son talks about God the Spirit and God the Father. If you read all those verses carefully, here's what you're going to find out. The Trinity has a relationship where all three members have equal authority. All three members have value. All three members have a voice. All three members have influence. All three members are respected. Hence, I would declare to you with great confidence that the relationship of the Trinity is healthy, satisfying, and I think you could probably say it endures. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, relationships where there is not shared power. Those relationships, and there's not a person in this room that's been married any time at all who doesn't understand this. Relationships that are not operating under the control of the Holy Spirit, they will very quickly devolve into competition. Competition for authority, for power, and for dominance. Who's going to get to make the decisions? Who's going to have the power? Who's going to win? And it's true of your relationships, and it's true of ours. Okay? What Gottman would say that you and I have got to avoid, like the plague is relational dynamics where one person consistently wins. You, do, you and I do not want to be in a relationship with anybody, whether you're four or 400. You do not want to be in a long-term intimate relationship with anybody where they win most of the time. Nobody wants to do that. Now, when you're four, you pick up your marbles and run home. I ain't playing with you anymore. But when you're 400, it doesn't work that way. Shirley and I really, we do much better now. You, you, you've improved. Thank you. No. <laughs> um, no. Thank you. No, we do much better now, and she would tell you that it's because I've improved. Uh, and I have, because I've worked hard. 
Uh, when we were first married, I really battled with fear and with insecurity about what my role was in our marriage. And I'd come from a family where my dad and my granddad and my great-granddad, and you could go up the tree as far as you want, they ruled the roost with a mighty hand. I grew up in a culture, a society, <laughs> the White Haven Country Club, White Haven, Memphis, Tennessee, the United States. Make it as, you know, broaden as much as you want. But where that idea that the man was supposed to, you know, be the king of the castle and the captain of the ship and rule the thing and all, the, all that. Oh, I just thought of this. That, um, so at my school, St. Mary's, they're doing the play Mary Poppins. And I hadn't seen that play in a very long time. And so in Act One, you remember George Banks, who's the, he's the father and he's a, the, the man and all that kind of way. It's not in the movie, but it's in the play and I'd forgotten. He sings a whole song about he's the, <laughs> how he's the sovereign. He's the sovereign. I like that song. Yeah, do you? <laughs> do you? You know, and so she's kind of like trying to interrupt him and say, you know, something. And he's like, I'm the sovereign. I'm the well, then in Act Two, it all falls apart and he comes around and all that. But that point right there, exactly. You know, yes. I'm, I'm the king. He, I'm the, literally the word is sovereign. And I don't need to hear from you, Mrs. Banks. <laughs> yeah. That's and all that well one. that works. No, no, it's bad. Yeah. John Gottman would say it doesn't work, that it doesn't work. We, we, and we've got to avoid, by working at it, a relational dynamic where one person consistently wins most of the time. Uh, we've got to make sure that both people win regularly. Because by definition, if somebody's winning, that means somebody's losing. Right? You can't, you, nobody can win without somebody losing. And so, by trying to take turns or by trying to compromise, we can create an atmosphere where we both feel like we win some. And then we also lose some. So, we were, of course, talking about this this week. And one of the things I think that's important to remember about developing shared power in a relationship is a balance and, and listening and really hearing what the other person feels they need or feel what their opinion is, you know, especially if there's any kind of conflict. It's not a problem if there's no conflict. But I think the point for me that is most important is to get to that sharing spot, sometimes a person might pull back and say, okay, okay, well, this one we're not going to agree, so I'm just going to defer to you or whatever. Sometimes that's the way it goes. But when that person does that, if that person, either person, can't do it with some humility, then it's, it, it, it's as bad as it ever was. There's no moving forward. So what that looks like, of course, is, all right, so let's say we're parenting a person. All right, we will do what your father says because, you know, he's, he's the father. But everyone in the group knows that this is in no way mutual. No. So it becomes a facade. It becomes fake. It's, 
it's now your kids would never pick up on that fakeness they would never have the ability you know? to read that does it read no and you don't have to have a kid involved for this to be true so you know we're in some sort of argument i've decided i'm just gonna you know let it go or i'm going to defer or what i'm not going to fight it out whatever and so fine we'll just do it your way we may go ahead and do it that way we may not but that that thing is is the opposite of humility it is scorn Mm-hmm. And scorn is deadly to relationships. Yes. So it's, it's not about just like receding or submitting. Either way, it's, it is about figuring out a balance. Yes, and this, you know, we could talk about this all day long. We don't have the time, but some of it has to do with personality. There are more dominant personalities and there are less dominant personalities. And the people that have got stronger personalities, we, and I'm saying to me, we have got to work, we've got to do what it takes to make sure that our mates or other people in our lives with not so dominant personalities, we've got to make sure that they win a lot. And if they're not winning because they say, well, I don't mind or I don't care. This isn't a big deal to me. You still need to make sure they win. You still need to do what it takes to make sure they win a lot. And, um, you know, we've already lost. We've already lost the whole deal when we value being right or we value winning more than we value the relationship. When winning and being right, but I'm right. I know best. Okay, maybe you do. But is that more valuable than the relationship? If it is, well, there you go. But I would want you to, aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus didn't look at the Father and say, but it's right for them to spend an eternity separated from us. It's just. It's the right. It's right. They're sinners. We're holy. Aren't you glad that's not the decision they, that they landed on? They put the relationship above being right. When there's a balance, a consistent balance, or, or when both people in the relationship really or trying for the balance, then when a time, and they do come, when a time comes when one person feels very, very strongly like that, like this really is the thing, maybe it's about how to spend some money or, or whatever, then because there's a culture of balance. And taking turns then and compromise. Then that's easier yeah. for the one who's might disagree. Well, and out of the confidence that the last time I was very passionate you deferred to me, so that when you're passionate, I defer to you. That's, guys, that's the way this thing's supposed to work. I would suggest to you, I don't deny the idea of authority in the home. I don't deny that, but I will tell you this. When you have to pull the authority card, you've already lost. You've already gotten into the flesh. That's, that is not the way to do this. Paul says, to, that we should submit 
to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that also means that, because I know y'all, and I know that some of you, your solution to this is, well, I don't want to compromise, and I don't want to take turns. I know what? You do your life, and I'll do mine. You spend your money, I'll spend mine. You use your time the way you want, I'll use my time. We'll just create two little separate lives living under the same roof. I would suggest to you that is a terrible, ungodly plan that does not please the Lord. How are you submitting to one another? How are you doing that by creating two little igloos under the same roof? That's not right. It's the dying to self to give life to the other one. The releasing of power, sharing it with the other one, that reciprocal daily dynamic, that's where God can work in our lives in ways that we've never seen before. I've been reading a lot of uh, nature or nonfiction lately, kind of getting ready for um, Lent and spring. And it's called the fertility cycle or the wheel of life. And it, it's, it's what we're doing now, right outside. So things have to die in order to live. We know that. We see that. We understand it metaphorically. We understand it literally. That is the, the case here. In That's order yeah, to live, that. That's you, perfect. things yeah. have to die. In order yeah. to be fertile, in order to come up with new blooms. Life comes from death. Always. Yes, always. I will end this part of it quickly by just saying this, and I'm, I'm just telling you, this is not theory. This is not principle. This, I'm telling you, this is your life. If, 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 this, if you consider this your life, then it is life for you and I to find a way to share the authority, to share the power in our relationship. Um, because let me tell you the alternative. I've done a, a gazillion funerals. You know the two funerals that I remember the most, that, that come to my mind the most often? Doesn't even include my dad's. The two funerals out of all the funerals that I've ever done, the two funerals that come to my mind the most. One, I was doing the wife of a husband, and the other one I was doing the husband of the wife. Two different families, situations, years, they had nothing to do with each other. But I walked in to both of those funeral homes on the day of the funeral. I knew the two families and I knew the two marriages and they had the opposite of what we're talking about. Both situations. And in both situations, I walked up to the man and I walked up to the woman. And I said, I am sorry for your loss. And without blinking an eye, both of them said the exact same words. I'm not. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm not. I have been bullied and bossed and ramrodded and forced my entire marriage. And I'm, I don't, that doesn't have to be true anymore. Now you think about that. You're laying there in a casket, dead as a doornail, and your family sitting over there going, I'm not. Now you pretend, and you act, and you do all that. But they're not sad. Because nobody wants to be in a relationship where you lose most of the time. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2. 
If you have the tender, compassionate Holy Spirit living inside you, then act like a team. Unified in love and spirit and mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but humbly value your teammates over yourself, looking out for their interest over your own. He's almost meddling, isn't he? Huh? And that's in the Bible. And that's in the Bible. Um, other wonderful thing about this study that I've been doing is how glorious and amazing and surprising it is. We're not supposed to be sharing power with each other. Do you know, and I, I've read the Bible more, than, more times than any of y'all. I never saw this. Do you know who delights in sharing power more than anybody? God. God delights in sharing his power and authority with us. Listen to these verses. Robin read this in Psalm 8. I hope you were listening. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and you've crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. Zechariah chapter 3, the Bible says, The Lord says, if you will obey me, you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. Jesus says in Matthew 28 that all authority has been given to me by my Father. And then the implication is that he wants to share that authority that he was given by his Father. He wants to share it with us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Don't you realize that one day you will judge the angels? Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that you will experience God's incomparable great power that is available to all who believe. It's the same power. The, God wants to share with us the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and to place Him at the right hand of the Father in heaven. In the next chapter, chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. That's past tense, not future tense. He's already raised us up positionally and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, those that suffer with Christ will rule with Christ. Do you hear this sharing of God's authority? And then find a chapter in Revelation that doesn't talk about this. Let me just give you some examples. In Revelation 2, He who is victorious and does my will to the end will be given authority over the nations. Revelation 3, To all who conquer, I will grant authority to rule with me as I have conquered and rule with my Father. Chapter 5, 
Jesus' death purchased a people from all the nations of the earth to create a kingdom of priests to serve and rule with him. Chapter 20, I saw those that had been martyred for Christ seated on thrones and they were given authority to judge and rule. And in chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, it says, there will be no night nor will there be any need for lamps or the sun for God will be their light and they will rule with him forever. If you study Genesis chapter 1 and 2 carefully, what you discover is that God created Adam and Eve to co-rule with him in the garden. Um, God created them to share with him his creative power, his power to protect, his power to bless the world. Now, when I use the, the, the word or when the Bible uses the word that we are image bearers of God, that means a lot of things. That's a huge biblical concept. But I would suggest to you that the most significant idea related to us being image bearers is this idea that God created. He created no other being in heaven or in earth that he shares his power with to create, to protect, to maintain and to bless. We are God's image bearers in that we share God's power and authority. Adam and Eve, as I said earlier, decided, no thanks God, we don't want to share authority and power with you. We want to rule our lives ourselves. We know better, we know best, we know how to do this. We don't want to share our authority and power with you. And so they told God, no thanks. We want to rule by our own terms and in our own ways. And the tragedy is that ever since there's this competition, this challenge, this opposition to us ruling with God, just like I don't want to share my power with you. I don't want to share my power with God. I want to rule in my own ways. I want to rule the way I want, how I want. Um, and the problem is, when I rule, when I use the power that God gives me in ways that are contrary to the way God designed it to be used, I'm no longer creating. I'm no longer protecting. I'm no longer blessing. Instead, I'm trying to control and dominate and rule and force. And ultimately, I'm doing, rather than using the power and the authority that has been given to me to bless, that's what Adam and Eve were given power to do. I want y'all to be blessed. I want you to be sources of blessing. I want you to expand the world, create the world, make the world better and better and better. And I'm giving you the power to do it. I'm giving you the authority to do it. Join me in this project. Where I refuse to do that God's way, what happens is I'm just using power for selfishness. 
I'm using power to get to make things better for me. A lust for unilateral power always leads to a desire to control, to dominate, and to force. I hope this is not indelicate or mm. poorly timed. But I think we see that on the world stage at this very moment. This very, it's crazy all week as I've been studying this. The news is just blasting what it looks like when one person decides I want to do it my way. I have a lot of power and I'm going to use it for selfish means. And I'm not going to share it with anybody. I'm not going to share it with anybody. And I don't care what it does to other people. It's a, per it's a living picture of what this idea in the Bible is talking about. And the tragedy is, and you can take this to the bank, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I know God's Word. And God's Word teaches this. Look at Adam and Eve. When they were unwilling to use the power and the authority that God had given them in ways that God intended, they lost their authority, they lost their power, and they became slaves to sin and death. When we use power wrongly, the power of God, God gave that man in Russia. God gave that man power. And He gave him a trust. Use it rightly. Just like God gave the power to the man in D.C. And who, I don't even know whoever's running London right now. But whoever it is in London and in Germany and all these other places. The Bible says that every authority, every ruler was placed there by God. And they were given a trust to rule rightly. To, root, to use their power and authority to bless, to protect, to lift up, to give life. And when that power is used wrongly, they lose their power and they become slaves themselves. Guys, that goes not only for kings and presidents and dictators. That goes for husbands and dads. It also goes for wives and moms too. When we don't use the power that God has given us, the way God wants us to use it, we lose the power. And we no longer are kings and priests with, with God-given authority. We become slaves. We become thugs. We lose the very blessings that God wanted us to have. We're out of time. Let me just say one more thing. Um, when Adam and Eve lost their authority and power, when they said, God, we want to do it our way. We don't like sharing. God said, okay. But you know, that didn't slow God down or change God's plans in any way. God immediately started re-inviting people to share in His authority. God didn't say, well, well sharing authority and power with people, that didn't work good. I'm going to stop sharing it. That's not what God did. God said, I still want to share it. That's why He went to Abraham. He said, I want to make a covenant relationship with you. What is a covenant relationship? It's shared power. It's a, it's a covenant 
partnership. God could have redeemed the world any way he wanted. But he said, Abraham, I'm doing something. I'm doing something great. I'm doing something eternal. I'm doing something that'll change destiny. Come join me. Share in my authority. Share in my power. He did the same thing with Noah. Noah, I'm doing something. I want to make a covenant partnership with you. He did the same thing with the Israel. If you're reading through the Bible with me, we're reading about that, that the establishment of the, of the covenant partnership that God made with Israel. He did the same thing with David. David, partner with me. Let's do something great, big, that matters and will last. They didn't do good on their end of the deal. Just like we don't do good on our end of the deal. But God's plan hasn't changed. That's a point that I want you to see. God still wants to give you power and authority in your workplace, in your home, in your marriage, with your kids, with your friends, in your community, in your world. And he says, I want to share this authority with you. I want to share this power with you. But it's not so you can walk around saying, I'm turning stones into bread. Or I'm making a friend of mine well when he's sick. Or I need a raise. Or I've got a, crank, a cranky neighbor. I'm going to call down fire and blast them from heaven. Every one of those examples didn't go well in the Bible, if you'll think about where the examples I'm referring to. God said, I still want to share my power with you. Still want to share my authority with you. I want you to be my partner in life. But you know how I want you to use my power and my authority that I'm giving you, that I'm sharing with you? I want you to go to the weak and the oppressed and the hurting and the marginalized. I want you to go. I want you to follow. The, well, what does that look like? Read the Gospels in the life of Jesus. Jesus understood what power and authority was. Never once did he use it for his own benefit. Never once did Jesus ever use his power and authority, of which he had an eternal, eternity amount. He always used it to serve, to heal, to forgive, to protect, to lift up. God offers his authority to us. He offers his power to us. But it's never so we can be independent. It's never for selfish reasons. But rather to restore to your life, to your home, to your, your neighborhood, to your children's school, to your community, to your city, to your nation of the Lord. It's to restore love. It's to restore peace. It's to restore healing and mercy and goodness. Paul said it this way in chapter 2. Though Jesus possessed God's nature, he didn't cling to his equality with God. Rather, he humbled himself and became a, hum a human servant and died on a cross for mankind. Last point. You know what happens to people when they start, when they, when they begin to realize, I'm not a pauper. I'm not, a, I'm not an insignificant. My life matters. God has given me an invitation to, to into a, a covenant partnership with Him, and He has given me power and authority. He is sharing that with me. You know, and I'm going to start using it the way God wants me to. 
to lift people up, to bless people, to protect people, to extend God's kingdom into the lives and communities of people. We transition from being slaves back into being a kingdom of priests. Our lives start mattering. Our lives start having impact. Our lives start making a difference, a real difference, a lasting difference in the lives of people. People we care about, but guess what else? People that we don't even like. We're about to pray. We're about to take the Lord's Supper and then we're going to pray. I want to ask you a question I don't want an answer, but I want you to think as you're preparing to take the Lord's Supper. Let's think about Ukraine and Russia. Which one of those countries does God love? Which one of those leaders, the, the, the news media has made the president of uh, Ukraine a hero. I don't know whether he is or he isn't. That, but the news media loves to make heroes and villains. Maybe he's a hero. I don't know. I've never met the guy. wonder who God loves the most. What's that boy's name? Zelensky? Or Putin? Which one of those two people does God love the most? Which one of those two people is God more committed to? Which one of those people does God more uh, anxious, uh, excited about saving and changing and transforming into a, a, a vessel of authority and power for good. Which one of those people? Which one of those nations? It is so easy for us as Americans. We want good guys and bad guys. Evil people groups and good people groups. And I'm, I'm not minimizing wrong. That's not my point. I'm just telling you. Who does God care about the most? Who does God love the most? Who is God at work in their life? Now, whether they embrace it or not, that's a whole other kettle of fish. But as we prepare to pray in a minute for the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia, for those two leaders, last time I checked, Jesus said, pray for my enemies, just like He wants me to pray for my friends. And I want us to do that. I, I want us to pray for both. Uh, uh, groups. Okay? Thank you, Buddy Bear. Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And um, God is at work. I, Robin, I, it is scary. You said, you know, it's, I think that might have been the word you used. And it is scary. Any reasonable thinking person can't watch all that and not be uh, a little afraid, okay? But none of this has caught God off guard. And um, even people that think they're God, they're not. And that goes for us. <laughs> Just on both sides of the ocean. We tend to think we're God. We're in charge. Um, we're not. And God is at work, and God wants to shine His love and light across the people of Ukraine and across the people of Russia. 
And uh, let's, let's uh, while we're preparing, um, I, want you to, I want you to come. Come to the table of God's mercy. Receive fresh grace from nail-scarred hands. Eat of the precious bread of salvation. Drink of the blood of the Lamb. Prepare your hearts to come and to eat and drink and remember and give thanks. But part of giving thanks is the sobering realization and gratitude that God has given us authority and power to join Him, to partner with Him, to intercede with Him, that we can literally intercede with Christ before the throne of God. And where two or three are gathered together, great things happen, amazing things happen. So let's pray with Christ as He intercedes before the Father. Let's pray together in agreement that God is going to use this horrible international incident to extend His kingdom, to show people how empty and vain and worthless power and authority and that man-made power and authority really are. Okay? Um, when you're ready, you come and take that which represents the body and the blood of our Savior. And you eat and you drink and then go back to your seat. I uh, want you take a few minutes and pray for the people of Ukraine and their leader. And for the people of Russia and their leader. Let's do that. You come when you're ready.